Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. This time of year, a lot of people spend time getting ready for the new year and making goals and setting plans and different things like that. In fact, my wife and I have done that in the last few days, just sat and talked about what we wanted to be as a couple, what we wanted to do as a family, what we wanted for our kids what we wanted to be as leaders is we, we look forward and, 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 and trying to just discern you know, what, what, what God wants. I've been talking with leaders and staff here for several months about what maybe the future might look like and what, what might go on and, and, and setting goals. And you know, for all of us, this is a really good time of year to, re, to, pu- to push the reset button. Reboot, get refocused, get reoriented to what you need to do, what you should be doing, how you should be functioning. Um, here's the thing, if we're going if, if to be successful, and I use that term almost apprehensively, because I know you guys, you have an idea of success, and it usually involves bottom line numbers, it usually involves some sort of extra bit of cash in an account somewhere, it usually involves some sort of, you know, uh, equatable thing, Right? I'm not talking about that kind of success necessarily. I'm talking about success that equates into faithfulness unto our God, unto our our King, faithfulness unto our families, and faithfulness unto, which can involve those kinds of things, but most of the time we get so caught up with those kinds of things, we blow right past really what's important. We start crunching things and and, and doing that. I'm not really talking about, I'm talking about being faithful to a a goal, faithful to a person, faithful to to a to a to a life faithful to a to a lifestyle those kinds of things and if we're going to do that we we got if we're going to succeed personally or corporately this year it's going to be because we do a, just a few very simple things there's a few reasons we stay committed number 1 to God number 2 we stay committed to one another and faith, the number three, we remain committed to whatever the goal is God has for us. Another reason we'll, we'll be able to be successful, and I use that word again sort of uh, apprehensively because I don't want you thinking I'm, I, I'm looking. We have to stay in community, and we have to stay in covenant with one another, with God and with each other to reach that goal. Remain faithful. Through the scripture, we find that God covenanted with people, and he, they covenanted back with him, and they, they, they stayed focused on certain things, and they did not get sidetracked or off base in any way, shape, or form. They remained faithful to him because he was faithful to them. And we've been, we've been for the last, really since September, the beginning, end of August, somewhere there, we've started at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 10, and we've gone verse by verse, line by line, word by word, about following the, the trajectory of some people and, 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 and God's heart in being faithful by keeping things simple. 
And we went all the way through Hebrews chapter 10. Every word, every punctuation mark, we hit every one of them. We came into Hebrews chapter 11 about a month ago, and we talked about what real faith looks like. And we talked about, the, about the, uh, our forefathers of faith. We talked about Abel and, and, and Enoch, and we talked about Noah, and we talked about Abraham and Sarah. And so this is the context where I'm about to read, from you, read to you from Hebrews chapter 11. It says these words. All these people died still believing what God promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, this the writer writes here, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. The next line is really neat. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. If we spend all day looking in the rearview mirror, that's a bad deal. God is looking for people who are forward-looking, who are heaven-focused, who are eternity-minded. Those people are the ones he's not ashamed to be called their God, according to Hebrews chapter 11. For he has prepared a city for them. Let's think about this for a minute. The first thing they did, they believed the things God had promised. They believed him. They trusted him. They based their life on the things he had said. They didn't base their their, their lives on other things, on other thoughts, on other people, on on the latest gossip around town, on the latest complaining and moaning of the people next door. They did not base their things on on the famine or the the, the things that were going around that were very difficult. They based their their forward-lookingness, if that's a word, I don't even know if that's a word or not, on the fact that God had promised certain things and they trusted and they believed him about those things. We, like them, had to believe God has prepared better things for us. If you, t- if you think about the book of Hebrews from the very beginning, the whole idea, there's a one word that, that's woven throughout and it's this word, better. Start at the very beginning. Start in Hebrews chapter 1 and go all the way through. The, the writer of Hebrews keeps reminding us that God has better things than what has existed previously, than what we're looking at right now. He, he keeps reminding us there's better, there's better, there's better. Not bitter, better. One vow can make all the difference in the world. Okay? Better, better things for us. God has prepared their, those better things. We individually and corporately may not have seen them yet, but we must believe him who called us. We must trust him. He's the one called true and faithful. We will be weak and frail. We will be tired and weary. We can get very frustrated. We can become angry. We can do all that stuff. But the one who called us, he's the one who's faithful. And as we grab a hold of his faithfulness, we will find that he's leading us. Here's the funny thing about these people. Because they believed in him, they agreed. It says they agreed. You know what they agreed to? They agreed to be foreigners and nomads. How many of you, if I stood up here today, went, you know what? We're just going to go. Where are we going? I have no idea. I keep thinking about Abraham and Sarah. Hey, let's pack up and leave. Where are we going? I don't know. 
When will we get there? I don't know. Do we have enough money? I don't know. Where, what, how long will it take? I don't know. What? The Bible says they agreed because they believe God. They, be, they, they, they agreed to be foreigners and nomads. In other words, they agreed to live a life that's unsettled. They agreed to live a life that's not sure. They agreed not to get to let their roots get down so deep that they can't move when God says move. They agreed to those things. And my fear is sometimes we get so entrenched in certain thoughts and certain ideas that we, we, we cease to be foreigners and nomads. And God's beckoning us to say, you know what? Let's roll. God has always been a God of movement. He spoke light into existence in Genesis chapter 1. It kept moving and it never stopped. And somehow we think we can just, okay, lay down and just be killed. No. God is a move. He is an active God. He is not a God made with hands. He is not an, he is not an idol that sits still and doesn't talk, doesn't breathe. He is, a, he is a God that is constantly moving and shaking and doing things. And we have to agree to be with him on his plan, not for him to agree with our plan. Regardless of how that translates, what that looks like. Got to prepare. They're, they're longing. Did you catch that? They're longing. They're longing. They were looking forward to a country they, they, they kept up their own. They longed. They, they had, if they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. Our biggest challenge is where our longing lies. Our biggest challenge is where our longing lies. If our longing lies two decades ago, we will stay two decades ago. But if our longing lies in eternity, we will, we will run headlong into it. Where is your longing? This morning as we think about the new year, what are you longing for? What are you looking toward? What is the thing that, 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 that motivates, that emblazons your soul, that impassions you? What is the longing of your heart? They longed that they would go back. God had prepared things for them. Can I say this? God, he's never stopped preparing. He's prepared things for us as we move ahead. Ultimately, you guys should know this, he's preparing a heavenly home for us. He's, he's never stopped doing that. Think about this for a second. He took about six days and created all that we can see, touch, hear, feel, Taste took six days. Spoke, boom, things just happened. Ever since that moment, for 6,000 years, he's been preparing another place for us. Now, if a, if a God who could create everything we see like that has been taking time to prepare a place for 6,000 years, just for a minute, stop thinking about this place for a minute, Okay. As beautiful as the mountains can be, as big, as wonderful as the jungles can look, as wonderful as waterfalls can be, as the ocean and the beach, think about, and then think those happened in split seconds, and he's been spending thousands of years preparing another place for us. Wow! Huh? Anyway, I'm going to be all, like, all over the place. He is preparing a place for us as we move forward. He is. As we move the next year, we'll move into a greater emphasis on smaller group community. We will. No ifs, ands, no buts about it. If you want to consider yourself a part of church triumphant, you will find yourself in a small group. I promise. And we won't accept less than that. And I'll tell you why we won't accept less than that. Because it's the, it's the place 
where you, do, you, where you grow the most. It's the place that will sustain you when hard times come. It's the place that's most scriptural. You read all through the New Testament. They would have big gatherings, yes. They would have to, but over and over again, you will read through the book of Acts about them meeting in a home. You read all over the place that Paul writes a letter to epistles of the church that meets in so-and-so's house. And here's the thing. If we're going to move forward, we have got to be willing to lock in that we can love and be loved. We can know and be known. We can serve and be served. We can celebrate and be celebrated together. And you know what? Can't do it in here. Not like that. Not to the depth it's supposed to be. And so I want you to think about the community of faith you reside in. I want you to think about the, the place where, here's, what I think we, here's something we, the things we believe. We do absolutely believe in that small group community. You know why? Because we absolutely believe a circle is better than a row. If I asked you right now some deep intimate knowledge of the person sitting down the pew from next to you on the other end of the pew, you wouldn't even, some of them you wouldn't even know their names. You wouldn't know where they worked. You wouldn't know the ages of their children. You wouldn't know what degrees they have. You wouldn't know their address. You wouldn't know anything. But if you get into a small group, you suddenly find out things you never discovered before. Can I say something else? You can't hide in a small group. You can't hide. And for some of you, the thought of hiding is ideal. Some of you are probably still agitated with, with us from last week because we, 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 we wrapped off the back, in, the, the back set of pews so you couldn't just sneak in and sneak out. Well, I don't apologize for that. You know why? Because you need to be known. You need to love and be loved. And you can't get that sneaking in and sneaking out, sneaking in and sneaking out. You can't. Now I'm getting sidetracked. Some of you will be get a con- will get contact this week, probably tomorrow. I'm going to ask you on purpose to help us create a small group community. You have a chance to deny or refrain from that, or you can have a chance to lock in and be a part of the community and covenant together. That'll be up to you. And I encourage you to take advantage of that. You know what? Jesus knew his life was about to turn. And when he knew his life was about to turn, he did a couple things. He invited his, his, his guys together. He knew that those walking with him needed some assurances. So he involved them in a, in a covenant-making process. He involved, invited them to a table. He invited them to a place where he could, he could know them and they could know him. He invited them to a table where he could love them and they could love him. And one another. He invited them to a place where he could share his heart and his mind and his soul with them and, and get them ready for the journey that would lie ahead. Though they didn't know how it was going to turn, he knew. He invited them to that table, and we pick up the reading in Matthew 26. He knew they needed the community of others of like precious faith, and they needed to know his, his goal for them. In verse Matthew 26, 26, it reads like this. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a, great, he took a cup of wine, gave, God, gave thanks to God for it, gave it to them, and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood 
like the way this reads here, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Listen to these words. Jesus is making a statement of commitment right now. The very next line, he's making a statement of commitment. Listen to these words. Mark my words. Listen, when Jesus makes a statement like that, he means business. He's saying, write it down, take it to the bank. Several places you'd hear him say, like in King James, it would say, verily, verily. What everybody's saying is, this is the truth. Listen right now. If you're not listening to one other thing I've said this whole month, listen to this right now. So mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus was told him to say, listen, we have a task to accomplish, and we will get there, and one day we will all be together again in a place, and at that moment, we will drink this thing together again, but I won't do it again until then. I'm so, it's like those crazy football players and stuff who refuse to, to, to shave their beard until they, until they lose. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, you can take this to the bank. I mean every word of it. I'm committed to it. One day, we will, we will sit together around a table like this again, I promise. And in the meantime, you can beg on, I'm going to be with you. You can beg on the fact that I'm preparing a place for you. You can bank on the fact that we're going to get something done in the meantime. That's what he was telling them. Jesus issued this new covenant with the same focus and the same longing. He had made promises. He was doing something new. He was, he was going to come through because he's faithful and true. Not unlike what happened to the people of the Old Testament. He made them promises. Jesus took his small group, sat them at the table. This was Jesus' circle. This was Jesus' circle. He brought them together. He said, listen, I want to look you face to face. I want to look you eye to eye. I, you know what? I, I can't, I hate, and, and I know some people, I hate that one picture of the, of, of the, of the, the Last Supper, the, one, the real famous one, because they're all in a line looking out that way. That is not how they celebrated Passover. They sat around the table together. Jesus had eye to eye, nose to nose contact with those men. They weren't sitting like this in a straight row. How many of you sat? How many of you had Christmas dinner on Sunday, on, on, on Thursday, and you all of you sat on the same side of the table? Anybody do that? I don't want to look at him anyway. I'm glad he's sitting on that end of the table because I don't have to look at him. No, you guys sat around the table together. You sat around the living room together. You sat in a place where you could be see and be seen. You could hear and be heard. You could love and be loved. You could celebrate and be celebrated. All the same, now, didn't you? Did you not? So this is where Jesus said he grabbed his guys. They got in a circle around this table, and Jesus made certain promises to them, and he said, take it to the bank. It's not just a promise. It's a covenant. A covenant is forever long. You don't get out of a covenant. It's not like a contract that if you don't live up to your part of the bargain, I don't have to live up to mine. A covenant says, I'll do my part regardless. Even if you fall short, I'm doing my part. That's what a covenant says. That's what we call marriage, a covenant relationship. Because you are going to fall short. But that shouldn't affect the other person's part of the equation. But they didn't commit necessarily to you. They should have committed to God first. Anyway, enough on that little spiel. 
They, they came into agreement. In Luke 19, 20, he took another cup of wine, it says, reading the same story. This, is, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood, he says. Remember back in Hebrews 11, it says they agreed to be foreigners and nomads, right? They, this is an agreement which is poured out for you as a, as a sacrifice, he says. It's funny, interestingly enough, John 13 is John's telling of this story of the Last, co- of the last Supper. And in that moment, you will find that Jesus administers what we would call a foot-washing ceremony. He washes the disciples' feet. They eat the meal together. He gives them an example. And in the very first words of John 14, he makes these words. He makes it, it, sitting in the same setting, he says these words. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. He's saying, listen, just like the the writer of Hebrews says, God had prepared things for those in the Old Testament. I'm telling you right now, I am preparing things for you as people of the new covenant. I will come and get you. Take it to the bank. This is a covenant. I will live up to my end of the bargain. I pray and hope that you will come through on your end. That's what he's saying. And even if you don't, I will be faithful and true. I will come and get you. Is that amazing? He invites us on that journey. We, he invited his followers to a table that was to remind them of him, remind him of his promises, and remind them of his place he was preparing for them. As you start this new, new journey into the new year, I want you to remind you of something. There is a person you can't trust. His name is Jesus. There is a promise he has made. He will come back and get you. And he is right now preparing a place for you and all of us. And if we lose sight of that, we, we, will, be, we, we will cease to be foreigners and nomads. And we will lock down and become stagnant and stationary. And we'll long to go back to a place we should have never wanted to be in the first place. It's just like those Israelite children, when they came out of Egypt, they wanted to turn around and go back to slavery. And sometimes when we don't pay attention to what God's doing ahead of us and and, and in front of us, we want to go back to where we came from. We can never, ever go back. We have to move forward towards heaven, towards eternity. And we have to be involved in this mission to get other people there. This morning, as you sit here, you need to trust him. God made good on his promise to get here the first time. He will make good on his promise coming back the second time. His first promise was to save us from our sin and ourselves and our flesh. His next promise will deliver us from every bit of ounce of suffering and darkness that exists. Ah! Bring that on. Jesus will make good on his promise to come get us and take us to him. We need to agree with him that this is not our home, that our citizenry let rest someplace else, that the real thing we are, beyond being whatever last name we have, beyond being Americans, beyond being human beings, we are children and people of the covenant of God. And as we move forward, we have to live like that, talk like that, walk like that. Not allowing anything to tether us down, only allowing the things of God to carry us onward and upward. We need to agree to be transient, ready to move with him as sojourners, being nomadic, being nomads that follow him. Not our culture, 
not a ministry style or a paradigm, not a doctrinal dogma, not any of those things that, 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 that would try to tether us. Follow Him, His Word, His truth only. And we need to covenant with Him and one another that we might live that way. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.